So you're ready? <laughs> okay, first off, I want to say, how great of a job did Ava Dooley worship today? For those of you who don't know, this girl is going to be a freshman in high school this year. And she just led an entire worship service. And we need to be praying for her. Um, she's actually having some really bad back problems right now. Um, it's really hard when you have to carry the entire band every time you're on stage. And uh, she's doing a great job with that. Now, she's, she does a fantastic job. I'm really proud of the work she's doing. Proud of this entire band. Everybody involved in the worship team just does a fantastic job. And so very, very proud of them. So today I'm going to blow up the church. Like, not really. But uh, I hope you kind of figured from that opening video and that really ridiculous picture that's on the screen right now. Um, I want to take some concepts. I want to take some ideas that we've got in our heads and in our hearts that we have somehow begun to believe and we don't even realize that we believe those things. That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to go ahead and apologize to the camera guys because I'm going to walk all over the place because that's just kind of what I do. But um, I want to talk about these things. I want to talk about these concepts. And that's why our main thing today is culture and personal history don't make falsehoods true. It doesn't matter what your parents taught you, what their grandparents taught them. If it's false, it's false. It's not true. And it doesn't matter what culture tells us. It doesn't matter if culture tells us that something is okay, that something's all right. If it's false, it's false. So culture and personal history cannot define what is truth. There's only one source of truth, and that's God. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But before we do that, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray, and we'll get into this this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for just being here with us right now. You say we're two or more gathered. You were there also. And Father, there's a lot of us here today. And we just want to honor you through our worship today and through this time as we try to, to work through your word. God, you are so good. Help us to seek out the truth and to follow that. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to talk about concepts in church that we don't even realize we believe. And the very first one is Jesus is a concept, not a person. Now you're going to have to follow me on this. But for a lot of us, when we read the Bible, and we read about these characters, Moses, and Elijah, and Isaiah, and, and, and Daniel, and David, and all these people, they're just really good stories. But a lot of times, that's how we see them, as really good stories. We have trouble seeing them as actual people. And unfortunately, that happens with a lot of us with Jesus. We see Jesus as this really cool concept, this, this idea of, of somebody who lived a perfect life and something we can live up to. But a lot of times we don't put flesh and bones on Jesus and see him as a person. In John 14, 6 and 7, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. How many of you guys know Sam Kibler, the son of our senior minister, David Kibler? Okay. Sam is so much the spitting image of David's ridiculous at this point. Okay. Sam is a musician. He can play anything you put in his hands. He's an incredible soccer player, a heck of an athlete. He laughs at dad jokes. And he even got scholarship money from a preaching competition. 
I would dare say if you were to look at Sam, you see David. And in the same way, the people in Jesus' time could look at Jesus and they would see God because he was the image of God. He was the human form of God on earth. He was there in a way that people could tactically, tactfully uh, just be able to touch and see and know that he's real. The problem for us is we can't see him physically right now. And because we can't see him physically and we can't be in his presence physically, we struggle with seeing him as a person and we turn him into this good idea of how we should live. And what ends up happening is we pick and choose the parts of Jesus that we want to be like. So we know that Jesus was kind, so we want to be kind. We know that he loves, so we want to love. But he was also somebody that said, if you want to come follow me, sell everything you have and give to the poor. He was also the one who liked to point out sin. He's the guy, he's the guy who drove people out of the temple because of their sin. But sometimes we don't want to do that part. We just kind of want to be this part of Jesus. And if all Jesus is is a concept, then yeah, that makes sense. But I don't know about you guys. For me, when there's somebody that I know personally, I want to be like them. I want to be as much like them as I can. For me growing up, that was my dad. I wanted to be like my dad. My dad was in ministry for over 30 years before he passed away. I'm now in year 27 of ministry. And it's just, it's one of those things where I just want to know that if my dad was here now, he'd be proud of the work I'm doing. How many of you guys have somebody that you just look up to and that you've either patterned your, your life after or your job after? Is there anybody in here who's done that? Like three of you, good. So I'm wrong. Um, everybody's doing this, yeah, yeah. I'm not raising my hand. <laughs> but here's the thing. If we see Jesus as a person... And not just as this nice concept, this nice story, then we'd probably live more like him because we would see him as somebody we achieve and aspire to be like. Unfortunately for most of us, and maybe some people in this room, I don't know, but we just see him as this really good idea. The next false concept that we kind of get in our heads, and I will say this, this one, I would say there are ministers that struggle with this concept as well. And that's the idea that your attendance is more important than your holiness. That you physically being in church is more important than what you do when you walk out the doors. Now, remember, these are things you don't realize you believe. And not everybody in here believes that. And I'm not saying it. But if I am stepping on your toes, I'm okay with that. Um, but here's the thing. I'm glad everyone's here. And I hope everyone comes every Sunday. But if you're coming to fill a seat, or if you're coming because you've got to get your, your God time in each week, you're not coming for the right reasons. The reason we should be here is because we're living as much like Jesus as we can, and we get the opportunity to come every Sunday and spend time with other people doing the same. We get to be with our family. We get to be with people we love. I get to be with the Tiptons, the Ely's, the Seagraves, the Kibblers, you know, so many families in this church that I love dearly, I get to be here with them, and we get to chase after Christ together. But if all you're doing is coming to church because that's the thing you do, or that's the social thing, or grandma and grandpa always did it, let's flip that a little bit. 
Let's figure out something better. See, in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you holy is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holiness is a big deal. And it's probably not something we talk about enough. But holiness is literally being set apart and being different. And when we're holy, it means the things of the world aren't as important to us. When we're holy, it means that we don't want to be like the world. You can be in the world, but don't be of the world. Be different. It changes everything about you. In Hebrews 12, 14 through 17, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. And afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. I love the story of Esau. And for those of you who don't know this story, it's from the Old Testament. And it's the story of Jacob and Esau, their brothers. Esau had just been out, I think he was hunting at the time. He's just, you guys know Rowan, our youth minister? Imagine a redheaded Rowan. That's probably what Esau looked like. Okay? Esau was a big, hairy dude. Okay? And, I'm, and if you read the Bible, it describes him as a hairy dude who looks like an animal. Like, hairy, redheaded guy. Okay? He's out hunting. He comes in. He's tired. And Jacob had made this stew. And he was going to go eat the stew, but then Jacob's like, no, you can't have this. He goes, listen, man, I'm about to die. He literally said, he gets all dramatic about wanting to eat stew. Dude, I'm going to die. Give me some stew. And Jacob says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the stew. You give me your birthright. Because see, Jacob was the little brother. Esau was the older brother, which means he got the main inheritance. He got the birthright of carrying on the family name and all those things and the rights that come with it. And he gave his birthright up for a bowl of stew. Think about that. He gave up his birthright for stew. He let his carnal desires get in the way of his inheritance. Now, why is that such a big deal when we're talking about holiness? Because every day when we walk out these doors, our carnal desires are being thrown at us. Carnal desires of things that we want to do that we know. We don't need to be doing those things, but we do them anyways. And in the process, we're throwing away our inheritance to get these things. Whether it's power or money, the better job, higher standing in the community. Whatever it is. It's not better than what God has for us, but because our desires get in the way, we lose track of what's really important. Esau gave away his inheritance. How many of us do the same thing weekly when we go out those doors and we just give in to every temptation that's thrown at us? See, God's not concerned with getting the attendance numbers up. He's concerned with seeing true disciples 
in church. He's concerned with seeing people who are living holy lives. Now, the next thing that we're going to talk about, and this one's a good one because I believe there are ministers that struggle with this one. I believe there's a lot of church people and a lot of churches everywhere who struggle with this one. And that's that evangelism and discipleship are the minister's job. There are a lot of people in the world right now who believe all I have to do is bring friends to church and then it's the minister's job. I just get them in the door. I'm doing my part because I brought them to church. Now, here you go, Dave. Here you go, John, Rowan, Jenny. Now it's your job. Man, that's backwards. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me show you something. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, powerful, amazing, Jesus, had 12 disciples, and he poured into three of them. He had 12 disciples, and he poured into three. And if you think that Dave is better than Jesus, I guarantee he's watching right now and laughing his head off at that concept. You can't do it. It's not sustainable. It's not realistic. And it's not what we were called to do. If you read, we've read, we've read this multiple times. The Great Commission. And what we're going to do while reading this is I'm actually going to go back a few verses. Because I've heard people say, well, this just proves that it's the ministers that have to do it. So here's what it says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I've actually had people use this to defend why ministers should do it. Because he said it to the eleven. And because the eleven were the disciples, soon to be the apostles, that meant that it's only for preachers to do. Well, the problem with that is Paul disagrees with you wholeheartedly and none of us have a book published in the Bible. Okay? And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation is bringing something back to where it's supposed to be. Okay, If you have a friendship that falls apart and you reconcile that, you're bringing that friendship back to where it's supposed to be. And so in this, God is trying to bring his people back. And he finishes by saying, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. He's not talking to the leaders of the church at Corinth. He's talking to the church at Corinth, the people of the church. And he's saying, we, us, all of us, are ambassadors of Christ. Now, what would an ambassador of Christ been back in Bible times? An ambassador for, say, Caesar, the emperor, means that when he walks into a room, he has authority. Because he's speaking on behalf of the emperor. And he's able to lead people. He's able to tell people what the emperor wants them to know. Because he's an ambassador for the emperor in the same way we are ambassadors for Christ. And it is our responsibility 
When we walk into a room, we speak on behalf of the king. We speak on behalf of the king, which means evangelism and discipleship are not just for the preacher. They're not just for the elders. They're for all of us. And I know what that, can be, that can be terrifying. But I'm going to show you a video of one of the best evangelists I've ever seen in my life. Can you guys go ahead and play this video up here for me? Okay, tell us your story about Jesus. He who was Hold on, on there it is. And who was dead on the top of him. I don't know what he did. He was up on the top and did him. Let me tell you a little something about my kids. I love this. They're right here, actually, today. Normally, my kids aren't in the service, but they are today. I don't know where my daughter is going currently, barefoot, but there she goes. Um, <laughs> all right. But uh, Friday, we took them to uh, the Newport Aquarium, and then afterwards, we went to the Creation Museum. And I will tell you, after going there, don't take a five- and a six-year-old to the Creation Museum. Bad idea. Um, <laughs> it's a little adult for kids, and it's fantastic if you are probably middle school up, it's fantastic, but um, we're going through and we're seeing the, the images of different Bible characters. We saw uh, King David. We saw uh, Daniel in the lion's den. We saw all these amazing characters, Joseph in his, his coat of many colors. And then we come around the corner and Jack looks over and sees the cross. And he goes, he goes, Daddy, that's Jesus. I go, yeah, because he died on a cross for us. I was like, yeah, he did, buddy. And he goes, I go, did he stay dead? And he goes, no, daddy, he rose from the dead. If a five-year-old can get that, I think we can talk to people about Jesus. Don't be afraid to tell people about Christ. And if you have questions and somebody gets deep in the weeds with you on something, guess what? That's a good time to call the minister and say, what do I do? Because all we want to do is help you be able to tell people about Christ, teach people to be more like Jesus. But we can't believe that evangelism and discipleship are only the job of the preacher and the other ministers. And the last uh, concept that we're going to talk about is the biggest one of them all. Because it deals directly with sin. And it's the one I struggle with. I guarantee it's the one Dave struggles with. And I would say that 99% of this room, I won't say 100 because I can't speak for everybody, but I would say that 99% of this room struggles with it. And that concept is the Sabbath isn't really that big of a deal. No one will say it. No one will speak it verbally. But I think our actions speak to it. I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many in this room will, can honestly say they rarely ever take a Sabbath day? I don't think, I don't need hands raised because I'm pretty sure I'm seeing heads going, uh-huh. We're in the United States. And the problem with where we live in the Western world is we're go, 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 go. And we're always doing something. And every day has to be filled with events and things to do and all of this. And we can't get our brains to stop. People struggle with insomnia because they can't sleep at night because their brains don't stop. Because they're constantly going. And then what do we do after that? We take our kids and we put them in every single event we possibly can. Be in this sport. Be in this club. Be in this thing. Be in that thing. Go to this camp. Go to this VBS. And we raise up children who are go, 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 go. 
And then they have kids, and they do it again. And we have generation of generation of generation who were teaching to sin. And the reason I say that is because in Exodus 20, 8 through 11, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your animals nor your any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That is from the Ten Commandments. Do we understand that? The Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Okay? Not the Ten Good Ideas. The Ten Commandments. We are commanded to take a day of rest. And realistically, do any of us do it? Guys, God is mandating we take a nap How awesome is that? (laughs) I mean, let's get real for a second. We have done a horrible job of following this commandment. And let me tell you something about this commandment, too. We hear it and we kind of blow it off. But if you read through the Ten Commandments, this one has the most letters, sentences, and verbiage of any of the other commandments. In other words, it takes up more space in the list of commandments than any of the commandments. It's also directly after the commandments of, you shall have no other gods before me. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall have no false idols. It comes after those, and it is before, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, honor your father and mother. This comes before those. In other words, in the list of importance, the Sabbath is high up on the list. We hear hear of someone who's a murderer, and we think they're the scum of the earth. But the Sabbath is listed before murder. And how many of us don't do it? How many of us just blow it off like it's not a big deal? But it's a holy thing. God made it holy. Holy. And so I'm going to challenge everybody in this room today. Like I said, this is a belief, honestly, if you think about it, we probably all feel that way. And we've always thought of it that way. We never take the Sabbath seriously. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just the culture we live in. But we never take the Sabbath seriously and directly set that day apart. And I can tell you, it's hard. It's not easy with the way America is. It's not easy in the world we live in. If your kids are in sports, guaranteed they're going to interfere with your Sabbath. If your kids are involved in anything, they're going to be taken away from a Sabbath. But guys, how many of you just need to rest? If we're being completely honest, how many of us in this room right now could use a break? I did a thing called 75 Hard. It's, It's a mental toughness challenge. And I made it 61 days, and the only reason I missed it was because I was on a camp out with Sean Ely, and it's his fault. So um, I'm going to blame him for that. No, it's not his fault. But um, for 61 days, I drank a gallon of water every day. I read 10 pages of nonfiction every day. I did two workouts a day, both of them 45 minutes, and one of them had to be outside. I also had to take a picture of myself Every day, which I hated that part, but I had to do it. 
I could take no cheat days, and I couldn't drink any alcohol. Can't do any of those things for this entire duration. And the deal with it is, if you don't get to the end and you fail, you start over on day one the next day. I made it 61 days. After that 61 days was over, I did not start back over because my soon-to-be 50-year-old body said, you're not doing that again. (laughs) My body needed a break. My body needed help. I had fatigue from working out twice a day for such a long period of time. Guys, our bodies need breaks. Our minds need a break. We get fatigued. We get tired. And if we're going to be honest, when are we most susceptible to sin? When we're exhausted and we don't want to fight. And so it's important we take that Sabbath so our defenses are up. Because if you're constantly exhausted, you're constantly tired, Satan can get in there real easy. We've got to take a Sabbath. And guys, if we don't, whether we like it or not, it's sinful. It's a command. And I will tell you what, if you are taking a Sabbath and you get a phone call from me, hey, can you help with, you can say, no, I'm on a Sabbath because you told me to. I will say, okay, I'll talk to you later. Click. Because it's important, guys. We have to take a Sabbath. It's amazing how many things we believe in our hearts because it's kind of been built up by the culture around us. But guys, Jesus is not a concept. He's a person. He's not a concept. He's a person. And your attendance, while we covet your attendance and we want you here every week, the holiness by which you live is far more important than putting your butt in one of these seats on a Sunday morning. And everybody in this room, you are an evangelist and you are a discipler. And if you're in here right now and you're new to Christ and you want to find out more about it, find a smiling face and go talk to them because we're all part of this. This is our ministry that we do together. And guys, we got to learn to rest. we got to slow down. Jesus was not on the speaking circuit. He wasn't jumping in a plane to Phoenix, then on his way to Colorado, then heading down to Dallas, and having something every single night where he was having speaking engagements. That wasn't what he was doing. He was walking on foot from town to town, teaching these guys. His life wasn't crazy busy. And if we're going to try and be more like Jesus, then maybe we need to dial back how much stuff we're doing. Maybe we need to dial back the craziness that we put our lives into and get some rest. So my challenge for you guys this week, let's try to live holy because God is holy. And if we want to be like Christ, holiness needs to be our goal. And let's try to not believe these things that we've been taught to believe all our lives. Because the reality is, I did step on some toes and bruise them today. And if I did, you'll be okay. Bruises heal. But let's really try and be more like Jesus. And let's give him what he deserves as our God, as our Savior. Let's be more like him. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.